Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Retailistic. I am Andrew Smith of Think Uncommon. Deborah is currently on her way back uh, from the Retail Innovation Club in Israel and I'm excited to say next week we are going to hear everything that she managed to squeeze into her brain like a sponge over the few few days that she was there. If you follow her on social, you know that she had an absolute blast while she was there, meeting lots of people from lots of different parts of the world. So super excited to hear from her uh, what it is that she uh, she picked up while she was there. Amazing place for innovation. I'll share a quick story. Obviously, those of you who were at NRF uh, last year and a couple of the other uh, uh, conferences, including Shop Talk, there, there is often this incredible presence from Israel startups and tech startups in particular. I'm going to go on a bit of a rant about those in a positive way. Don't panic. In a little while, um, about startups overall in the in the retail space, but Israel's just this has a plethora of investment right now and creating a really positive space for innovation. So I'm excited to see what it is that Deborah is going to bring back for us. But today you're stuck with just me. It's an Andrew Rant special, uh, and it's the Halloween special. <laughs> oh, that was terrible and embarrassing. But anyway, I did it anyway. Uh, happy Halloween uh, for those who celebrate. Do you say Happy Halloween, or is it? I'm new to this, so I don't really know. In Australia, it's just all about you go to the house next door and the house on the other side and you get a whole bunch of candy and that's pretty much it. Occasionally, you might put a sheet over your face if you feel like you're up for it, but not really the same here. But anyway, I will ha- I'll just go with Happy Halloween. That's going to be the way that Aussies do it from now on. Um, so it's just me today. I'm going to talk about lots of things from Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, Amazon's results and a couple of hot takes there. We're going to talk about investments in retail technology startups I'm very excited about. Uh, a little bit of Kanye. And Elon Musk, why not? Uh, there's been so much happening there and has an impact on a whole bunch of us in different ways. So I'm going to talk a little bit about those before uh, finishing up with just a just a little bit of an editorial piece. I think uh, I need to get some stuff off my chest uh, around uh, frontline team member pay versus CEO pay after seeing some stats that came out this week. So it's going to be a fun chat and I'm looking forward to it. So thanks for sticking with us and thanks for listening to Retailistic. All right. Let's start with my opinion piece, actually. Let's go get the rant over with so we can get into the fun stuff. Um, I was reading um, some articles this week, and there's obviously been quite a lot of, of commentary on it. And there's kind of three layers of conversations that you see in retail, and I encourage everybody to make sure they're part of all three. There's the very much strategic uh, analyst conversations, the ones that you know, I, like I love to lean in on, and, and Deborah leads for for um, for us in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there's uh, the second layer, which is kind of the, the more tactical, practical version. And then there is this incredibly rich space where our frontline teams are engaging and creating content and, and having opinions and sharing what they think. And, you know, there seems to be this kind of this build up slowly happening around, um, you know, this pressure on pay for frontline team members. And you know, what is the right amount? You know, we've seen companies like Target, like Walmart try and boost their um, starter pay, their baseline pay, to be somewhat closer to a livable wage if you if you are working full time. Um, but then at the same time, you see this uh, this these stats coming out where you have people like the Peloton CEO. Peloton's not going brilliantly; it's struggling. It's got a lot of work to do for it to be successful. And then you you see um, stats like the you know Barry McCarthy having a base salary of a million plus a hundred and sixty seven million dollars in stock options. Now I. Um, I know what stock options are. I'm, I've participated in them. I know that it's not just straight up cash in your bank, but those figures are just nuts 
in a world where we can't, we struggle to justify making payments for people to live a livable, uh, a livable wage, I should say, um, and we keep those numbers this high. And I know we're operating in market pressure, and I know that there is so much more to this point than just a simple uh, equity um, share element, but. I can understand the growing tension that's happening in frontline team members who are rocking up to work and, and, and fighting for our successes as retailers every single day. In comparison to Barry, um, Walmart CEO, Doug McMillan, total compensation of $25 million for 2022, uh, which is a base salary of $1.2 plus a whole bunch of stock. Target CEO is Brian Cornell. Again, two, th- these are two leaders that are doing an incredible job in smashing smashing the numbers, but $19.7 million for total compensation um, you know, for the for the year is just is, is an incredibly large amount of money for businesses that are still um, having people come to work their one of their several jobs when they're fighting in the front line for these businesses. And it's just a really uncomfortable conversation and we have to lean into it. Now, I'm not saying that Doug or Brian or Barry aren't worth it. In fact, I think they are if you base it on market pressure. Barry got a big, big job to do. It's a, a, a very large pair of bicycle shoes to fill. But um, you know, I think there is something here that we need to have. We need to lean in on this uncomfortable conversation. Growth can't come from our comfort zone. So we need to lean in and say, all right, as an industry, how do we beat this? We know that market values these talents at these amounts. And if we don't pay them this amount, we're not going to get the talent. They're going to go somewhere else. So we need to take that into the room. That's an incredibly important part of the conversation and we should we should make sure we're having it. But there is more to the calculation now. If consumers are increasingly demanding more from businesses in terms of stuff like sustainability, fairness, equity, um, you know, a reduced class structure, DEI, all of these things are all what are being spoken about when you hear and listen to frontline teams. They genuinely do care about it and so do customers. Um, there is undoubtedly going to be this, you know, increasing debate around all of this stuff. So, my, my rant is, uh, I think we need to lean in on this conversation harder than we are right now. It is uncomfortable and it's going to involve a whole bunch of people having to be uncomfortable. And I think that's okay because that's going to make us grow. And we're going to be one of the few sectors that actually do it. Um, I think, you know, what is coming is this, the realization of this, uh, the importance of this conversation to long-term sustainability for businesses. Um, you know, people in stores are integral to successful retail, and we know that now. We know that stores aren't going away. In fact, everyone's saying that they're the most important part of our retail business. Then perhaps let's treat the people who run them like that. Um, and we have to be assuming and planning this stuff for cost increase. We're not going to change something in 2022. We may not change something by 2025, but gee, we can start the journey. Um, you know, if you if you stare up the top of a building and just you know wish you were already at the top floor, you're never going to get there. You're going to stand down there and get rained on. You've got to take that first step and go up the first floor. And I think the businesses that start doing that and you know kudos where it's due i think target's leaning in that i think walmart is but to a lesser extent um you know amazon has as well to be fair to it we can be sometimes a little unfair on amazon in this podcast you know they are leaning in on that as well um but then you have all of this stuff around unionization you have all of this stuff around the increased importance of stores and you have this huge kind of energy building up in the front line uh, including this battle for talent. And I think we need to lean into this conversation as fast as we possibly can. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, all of these people are worth being incredibly well remunerated for taking on the pressure, for taking on the scale, for taking on the the import of decision. You know, the, having your name above the door is an incredibly tough gig. Um, and we want to make sure they feel uh, appropriately remunerated, but we also need to make sure that the people who are serving our customers on the front line feel the same way too. All right, that's the end of a rant. Let's go have some fun. Okay, 
Bed Bath and Beyond. You know what? I am I, again being relatively new to the country. I don't know how long I get to keep saying that. Um, it's been six years. So I, I don't know whether I'm a local yet. Um, but uh, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond. Uh, Aussie running it until recently. Uh, got shafted after a, a, a slew of poor results. Um, I really enjoy. I'm enjoying some of the banter that's happening on Twitter. I don't watch the Family Guy, but I really enjoyed seeing the skit being replayed by a lot of people about. You know, here are, here's the bed, here is the bath, and then him falling through the door into the beyond uh, before him finally finds the coffee mugs that he was looking for. Um, it is a, I think, I think the Bed, Bath and Beyond story is a beautiful example of Darwinism, tricking us into believing that what we have what it takes to survive. You know, we have these self-defense mechanisms that kind of create these reasonable reasons about why we are strong enough to win and survive, but then, you know, obviously we, you know, they don't, uh, and they're struggling. I think, um, the problem, uh, that, you know, having had lots of conversations with people this week, including my fellow, uh, retail, uh, influencers and a mixer this, this week, we spoke about this quite a lot about like what it is that keeps them kind of stuck in the mud. And, uh, basically it was in a inability to see outside of their current model, that inability, inability to innovate. Um, they've got, I'm assuming a bunch of processes, a bunch of existing thinking and a bunch of you know, fat and friction that's built up over years and years and years. And you have to kind of rip it off like a bandaid, I think at some point. So I thought, look, you know what, if, if, uh, if the new CEO walked in and to my local coffee shop, um, and said, Hey, what would you do? Here's three hot tips from someone who works with customers uh, and uh, sorry, retailers that have innovation friction built up. One, free up the space to innovate. This means that there are some jobs that people are doing that you have to take off them and probably they're jobs that exist to eliminate the 1% of your problem. Things, you know, we often overinvest in these 1% of things that grab our attention and um, really in the great schemes of things, they don't matter. So let's just get get those people freed up to actually start thinking about it. You need to siphon off a test area. Let's, you know, I've I've worked with brands where they've literally taken states, whole states, and said, "All right, innovation team slash up, you know, strategy operations team, that's your state now. We're going to pull it out of sales performance. We're going to pull it out of sales reporting, and we're just going to let you run with different models and just try and find out what works. Put a store in store in, change a store layout, put a cafe in, put a cocktail bar in, whatever. Like just try different things and see what works for us." Um, and just keep te- keep testing at absolute pace, uh, and then build testing and building capability. This is the biggest one. People, uh, most retailers and most uh, businesses that I've worked with are really, really good, like super good at building a PowerPoint deck about what it is that they need to do over the next three years. It's the next bit that is hard, and that's because we've built systems to make it hard. We have hierarchical structures based on you know organizational capability instead of functional structures who are you know groups of people who actually do work together. In the technology space, we call this agile. Um, but in you know, you can take the thinking there and actually create functional teams. Don't have a, a weekly meeting for the uh, operations team. Have a weekly meeting for the team who are building the new shops, which includes the people who run them, who are going to stock them, who are going to deliver from them, who are going to be uh, building them physically. You know, all of that stuff. Go with functional structures, not hierarchical ones that are based on uh, you know an area of the business that I happen to be working in, i.e., skills. Um, and then aim for progress, not perfection. Stop looking at the top of the building that I talked about earlier. Instead, just take that first step or press the elevator button in the ground floor. It's always going to take time. But, um, you know, if, if I'm sitting at Bed Bath & Beyond, Sue, sorry, I don't think you've got a lot of time. So run fast.
get progress, not perfection. And you just need to be testing everything. Pull an Amazon. You know, we all spoke about all the different formats that Amazon had in market. I called it um, early, not uh, not a brag. Lots of people did that. You know, this is not where they're going. This is them testing. They opened up 30 different store types in different markets and tried to see what worked. That is the kind of thing that people, a, pers- a company like Bed Bath & Beyond needs to be doing right now, which of course is not, you know, it's easy to say that as an analyst, right? Um, harder to say when you're in there staring at shareholders and looking at a measly capital budget that probably is pretty much only to keep the lights on. Anyway, good luck, Sue. Uh, I'd like to fall into the beyond and lean into that. It could be fun for the brand too. All right, Amazon's results. Um, This has been interesting to see. Amazon on Thursday said its third quarter retail e-commerce sales rose 7% year over year to a a measly 54-ish billion dollars. Physical store sales rose 10% to 5 billion. I actually saw that number and thought that felt low considering their their, their kind of focus on physical footprint right now. It feels like it should be taking a an unnaturally larger share, uh, but still that's, you know, uh, it's net three points higher than their, their overall sales, uh, their e-com sales, I should say. So still uh, it's growing, it's, it's growing at a faster rate than its e-com business, which uh, makes sense. Uh, and then revenue from services grew, marketplace seller services up, uh, advertising up, subscriptions up. So they you know, the numbers aren't terrible, but overall though, profits though, they were squeezed. Uh, and they've actually announced that, uh, you know, on uh, a, a conference call with shareholders that, uh, the you know Q4 profits are probably going to vanish, uh, estimating an operating income between zero and four billion dollars. Um, I can only imagine if most retail senior leadership teams got on a conference call to shareholders and said that we're going to you know Q4 is going to vanish uh, to probably zero between zero and four billion dollars. You know what the New York Times front page would be the next day? Is, you know, insert brand name here's shares plummet. Um, they just get away with it. There is such trust in that organization to be able to pull profit and growth out of uh, seemingly nowhere that, you know, people just keep having faith. And it reminds us that um, really the market does value intrinsic capability and management capability more than most people think. Results are obviously incredibly important, but bad results can be overcome by great intrinsic ability um, in this in some parts if you build up that that trust with the market. All right. What else has been making me happy this week? Um, I want to get into Kanye. I think I've got to, uh, this is going to be a rant. Um, like the, the, I mean, congratulations. I had a really interesting, I've had a, such an emotional curve over the last like 15 days or so, however long it's been, you know, since he made those remarks, which are just unforgivable. Um, the, uh, and you no, know, no longer welcome in the modern world. Um, and you know, everything that has come down upon him has been a direct response to his own decision-making and his own views and closing in on those views and not listening to, to people's, you know, responses and outrages, you know, um, so, you know, I'm not losing any sleep on it. My favorite part of the week though, um, was Weight Watchers. I don't know if you saw this Weight Watchers, uh, whoever is running your social media uh, team needs a pay rise. Uh, tweeted immediately saying, congratulations, Adidas. Tag them in, by the way. That's courage. Congratulations, Adidas, on losing 163 pounds. Uh, I wish I wish, I wish, wish I had the, the gall to do that on my own social media, let alone doing it on behalf of a massive business. Anyway, fabulous to see the, the, you know, the community kind of uh, jumping around Adidas because it's a big hit. Um, but the emotional roller coaster that I've been on has been, um, you know, Immediately when it happened, it's like, why aren't you doing something now? And now that they've done it and they've announced it and they've announced it in such an incredibly thoughtful way where they have been talking about, um, Scott Galloway actually spoke about this on his episode of Pivot this, on an episode of Pivot this week. Like it's been so incredibly thoughtful. 
they've thought about everybody that they've needed to think about supply chain, frontline, how the store team is going to talk to people about it. What are we going to do with the stock? What are we going to do with the people who make the stock? Then there's people who are going to lose jobs over this decision. So it's, it shouldn't be taken lightly, albeit that our kind of moral high ground, we said it should have been done immediately. They've actually done it, I would argue, probably in a textbook way. And I think we should all learn from it, which is be tough, make the tough decision, but plan on it because otherwise you're going to potentially not think it through. But, uh, it's, uh, you know, let's not lose faith uh, over not no longer being able to get our uh, our Dove hoodies that are uh, stressed uh, for, and pay $500 for them because I think there's plenty of fashion out there. Uh, let's instead focus on why this matters. And for me, it's like this is that ongoing shift of consumer behavior changes. Um, we've seen it constantly um, spoken about in numbers. I've gone on this rant before, the idea that a – um, a consumer can say that this thing matters to me, but then taking action is slow. So uh, more and more consumers, in fact, a ridiculous amount of consumers are now saying that things are having an impact on on them and their decision-making. And we're starting to kind of see the, the actual action follow-up tick. We're actually seeing slowly but surely people are following through. It's going to be a lag. That, you know, we always know that when it comes to behavior, what people say they're going to do is a lagging input metric. It's going to take some time before their actions follow it because their context and their own situations need to change and their behaviors need to change. And we've all tried to change our behaviors. And guess what? It sucks. It's really hard. So um, it's going to it's going to be the same everywhere. You know, we've, Deborah and I always talk about her divorcing of Amazon. I'm so impressed by her for that. I am trying desperately, but I'm completely failing miserably. I'm making some change though, which is great news, but it's slow and that's natural. But if you ask me in a survey, I'd say, yeah, I'm absolutely ditching Amazon. Tomorrow though, I'll probably buy that thing that I want. So it's going to take some time for it to change. So these are lagging indicators, but if we're not planning for it right now, then we're going to be in trouble. i got some stats. This came from an Accenture study. Um, so go look it up if you want to. It's called uh, Consumer Behavior Changing. It's a very imaginative header, but it's very direct though. Um, some of the stats they listed, 72% of consumers say external factors such as inflation, social movement, and climate change are impacting their lives and their decisions more than in the past. 72%. That's three in four people are saying that things that are happening in the outside world is changing the way that I'm buying stuff. Um, And that's important. Inflation is the obvious one. You know, if things are incredibly expensive, I'm probably not going to buy them as much Um, or uh, I'm going to down spend. Um, Social movements, though, and climate change movements and all of those things are actually going to increasingly shift behavior. So we need to be ready for it. 60% of consumers say their priorities keep changing as a result of everything going on in the world. Keep changing. That means, guess what? Change isn't going to go away. Disruption is going to be here for for the long game. Um, And then 64% of consumers wish companies would respond faster to meet their changing needs. So that's nearly two in three people, basically, close enough to... uh, uh, I'm a retailer, not a mathematician. That um, uh, that the comp- that companies aren't responding to meet their needs. That is a bad result. But the scarier one is the next one. Eighty-eight percent, nine in ten, of executives think that their customers are changing faster than their businesses can keep up. So I did some digging this week after seeing this report. I sent this out to about uh, fifteen or so CEOs. Well, fifteen or so CEOs responded, I should say, to, to my uh, my message about you know whether what are they what are the reflections on this as a statistic, and all of them said it's true. It's like we constantly fight this battle of picking what we should be focused on. What do we do next? And um, it's uh, for 
you know, for me, like my response, I was trying not to respond because I was doing this for a study, but I, pro- you know, you all know me well enough that it's, uh, once I have an opinion, it blo- it comes out. I don't, it's like, it's uncontrollable. It's like sweat. And um, the trick is stop focusing on the what. <laughs> Instead, focusing on increasing your pace. If you as a business leader are focusing on the what, then your your attention's pointed at the wrong thing. If you're a C- if the CEO of a retailer right now, you should be focusing on how to become an agile, flexible, fast, responsive organization. And that should keep you up every morning. The rest of your team, if you've hired great people, which I'm sure you have, surely they've got it. They've got the rest. You need to be focusing on helping them create a system with less friction. That's it. Priority number numero uno. And you know, if you try and just keep changing with things without without, you know, fixing the process, the way, you know, the, the piping of how those things come to market, then you're going to re- release crappy things to market. Um, I have uh, a client who I won't name, obviously, uh, who is right now in the midst of trouble. They're trying to move at a ridiculous pace. And they said, we need you to help us make our suppliers move faster because we're worried that we're, we're not keeping up. And we went in and did a, at a big, big old study and found that it was the retailer's fault for not being thoughtful and not being able to be responsive and adaptive and not think and plan their processes properly. They were changing over stores that were, you know, 500 miles apart um, instead of by region just to more efficiently uh, make, you know, get materials there, get teams there that can do it. And they were wondering why everything was going. Chaos is not the way to do things at pace. Order and thoughtfulness is the way to do things at pace. So think about the process more. Anyway, end rant. The only, the, I have some good news story. I actually saw a, um, a fabulous um, tweet this week as well um, that reminded me that the you know, I have a motto, which I share with everybody I work with, which is you don't have to be serious to do serious work. And I was starting a presentation with a board um, and uh, I put up this first slide, which just said, um, uh, don't panic. Everything is okay because we're not saving lives. Some some people have that for a living and that pressure every day and, and bless them because goodness me, I couldn't deal with that pressure. We though don't. So I put up a slide that said, if you're ever feeling stupid, just remember that Walmart sells skeletons of invertebrate animals <laughs> and a, a picture of a skeleton of an octopus. And um, uh, I was really nervous though, because the tweet also had a price tag of $269 and I'm hoping that that's not right uh, or in a different market. But either way, invertebrate, you know, skeleton. For those who didn't pay as much attention in biology at school, invertebrate animals don't have a skeleton. So having a skeleton of an octopus on your front lawn might look scary, not biologically accurate. Anyway, that's me being stupid. Elon Musk finally bought Twitter. Um, He's been threatening to do this for quite some time. Uh, We all got to see his text messages, which made me feel a lot better about myself as a human. he, but he did finally take over. What does that mean for us as retailers? Quite a lot more than we think, probably. Um, I've been reading a lot about this because for me, this is Twitter is a place where we sit. We we have marketing there as retailers. We we have our our brands represented on this platform, and you know he uh, walked in with a kitchen sink to remind us to let that sink in. I would have thought a better analogy there would be I've thrown everything at this, or I'm going to throw everything at this, except including the kitchen sink. Um. I thought that would have had a better message, but hey, look, each to their own when it comes to metaphors, I suppose. 
anyway, uh, he's so he's finally bought Twitter. And he's announced that he is going to uh, do a number of different things, or he wants to do a number of things. He's fired most of the senior leadership team there, so he'll be bringing in his own people, and he will be also um, uh, reducing the way that uh, stuff is filtered. We'll, we'll be reducing control. We'll be reducing moderation, which means that there is a potential that our brands will be sitting next to messages that are full of false information, disinformation, um, or at worst, hate. And, you know, that is genuinely something we need to think about. So, you know, lean into your product teams, uh, yep, sorry, social media teams, go buy them a coffee or a cuppa and, um, and have a chat with them about what this means for you because I think it's something that's going to come out. Uh, it's going to impact us more than we think. All right, let's end on a stupid note, shall we? Um, I am new to uh, this country, as I keep reminding you. I don't know why. There's probably something I need to work through with my therapist on that. Anyway, um, I am, uh, I'm new to Halloween, and I'm not going to lie, I'm genuinely obsessed with it. It feels like a holiday I can solidly lean into. My house looks ridiculous. Uh, you may be hearing my zombie in my front lawn going off in the background, having a blast with it. Uh, and so is eight-year-old kiddo. There's nothing, I mean, it's just enjoyable to just decorate a house with a kiddo. I think that's just fun. But Spirit Halloween was this kind of like retail, I, know, I can hear you're all laughing now, like you're all going, oh yeah, <laughs> it would be weird to see that as a, you know, a, an immigrant. Um, I... Uh, I, I just, wow, I just, it is a phenomenal, interesting model. And I did some digging because I'm like, I have to, I need to know more about this ridiculous business model. It's brilliant, but it's, you know, I just want to know more. So I came up with some, some fascinating facts. Um, it started off as a women's discount store. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, so it, it didn't, uh, it just start off with, you know, with, uh, fake murderous knives covered in blood. Uh, it was you know, a discount apparel store with for women's clothing um, in California. Uh, he noticed that the costume shop next door was thriving and he thought, hey, I could get in on this. So he opened up a Spirit Halloween. So it went from Spirit Women's Discount to uh, Spirit Halloween uh, and he made $100,000 in a month. And he thought, hang on a minute, why am I working 11 months of the 12 months of the year when I could be working one? Anyway, I'm being silly now. Um, Spirit Halloween was purchased by Spencer's in the late 1990s. Didn't know that. Um, they, uh, the business, uh, after building a business selling fart machines and other naughty items, I mean, fart machines are just a consistent way to make revenue, surely. Every, like, is it, is that just, I mean, I assume America's the same where it's just, you know, kids and, and immature adults find fart machines hilarious. Anyway, moving on. Um, Spencer Gifts entered the Halloween market. The retailer purchased Spirit Halloween in 1999. They had 60 temporary locations. By 2018, just 19 years later, 1,300 stores in the US and Canada. Incredible. But it's not just all about the money. There's some nice bits to it. Again, I didn't know this. Um, Spirit Halloween uh, does um, a charity initiative called Spirit of Children, and it's raised more than $50 million for pediatric hospital patients um, across North America. And they also donate a whole bunch of stuff as well for kids who are sick and in hospital for Halloween. And I think that is a really beautiful way to do it because it is a, a kid's a kids holiday for sure. Um, and uh, But like the leaning in of that, I think, is a nice thing. Giving it, giving yourself some purpose, I think, is excellent. Of course, it, it, it helps now that their real estate so it's so cheap because there's been quite a lot of stores opening up for them. Um uh, they sell other items for other holidays. Didn't know that. They have an online store, also didn't know that, um, that um, is open all year round and they also do stuff for Christmas and everything else. You can you can get an, um, 
they have um, uh, some scary ones too. I found a, a, a an axe wielding elf um, and a corpse rising from the dead with the Santa hat. So I don't think it's probably what I'm going to choose for my Christmas. But hey, good on them for trying. But they'd have some Paddy's Day too. Favorite one of my faves of the year, uh, coming from a town full of full of Irish folk that enjoyed themselves on a St Paddy's Day. Um, and most of all, um, my favorite stat, of course, uh, I can't walk past actual useful retail data. Um, uh, 70% of its uh, of Spirit Halloween's business happens in the two weeks leading up to Halloween. So even though they open up several months before and they start planning from November, pretty much November 1, they enter next year's planning period, um, you know, 70% of its business happens in the two weeks leading up to Halloween. So that's uh, that makes me feel that I can be last minute to the three-week mark, but after that, that's going to be too long a queue. Anyway, Spirit Halloween, amazing, amazing, amazing. All right, that's enough for me. You've heard you know, 30 minutes of Andrew's voice uh, is probably too much, eh? So um, I will leave it there. Thank you very much for joining me, man. We we went everywhere. We sp- spoke about skeletons of uh, octopi, octopi, octopus. I've never actually looked up the proper answer for this. I went on a big old rant about CO pay versus frontline team member rant. So I look forward to hearing you all um, share your thoughts with me on that one. Bed, bath and beyond, of course. Uh, what does the beyond look like for bed, bath and beyond? Is it chapter 11 or is it survival? Um, Amazon's results, uh, zero to $4 billion. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of uh, investments happening in retail. I didn't even get on to some of these things. That's, oh my goodness. Um, I will have to save that one for next time. But the investments in retail technology startups is just giving me such incredible energy right now. I'll save that one and we'll talk about it next week. Um, And then of course, Spirit Halloween. So in the spirit of Halloween and All Hallows Eve, I wish you all a very, very happy week. So Deborah will be back with us next week to give us a rundown of everything she learned in the Retail Innovation Club in Israel. I'm very excited to hear more about that. Um, with thanks to Drew Burrows and team for producing this episode, please like and subscribe us, uh, subscribe to us, I should say. Um, that helps us find other people who can join in on the conversation, which is always appreciated. Um, until next week, I've been Andrew Smith of Think Uncommon. See you next time.